Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 292 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you for joining us this week. First up, myself and Chris McShane discuss sort of the Mets' general situation. We talk a bit about Corey Oswalt, we talk a bit about Dom Smith, and uh, just generally kind of talk about where the Mets stand here towards the uh, tail end of the 2018 season. Well, Chris, the Mets have, uh, well, they've been the Mets, which means they are, uh, they're doing some stuff that is unusual, they're losing some games, but they're also showing some sort of interesting, odd signs of life. It's been a really weird season. I know we've said that a lot this year so far, (laughs) but it's been a really weird season so far. Um, One of the unquestionably good parts of the season has been the emergence of Jeff McNeil. Now... You know, anybody who was sort of even remotely paying attention to the minor league system knew that McNeil could hit a little bit. Over the last few seasons, he's looked quite good at the plate, especially the last year or so. And um, But it's been really nice to see him sort of step right into this and look like a legitimate major league hitter. I don't know if you saw the absolute moonshot he hit on Monday night. Yeah, yes. I didn't see it live. Uh, and I actually had that game on, but I just happened to like be not at the TV when that happened. Okay. But I did go back and, and make a point of seeing it. Um, and debated getting pedantic with the Mets on, on Twitter. <laughs> cause they <laughs> Tell tweeted, me why. like, cause that, they're like, Oh, that one, uh, that one was seen bouncing across the grand central and like guys, your ballpark doesn't face the grand central anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Not the way a fair ball is hit. Yeah. Um, but I, I appreciate the spirit, but it should have been bouncing across the Whitestone expressway. Right. Uh, <laughs> I did not tweet this at them. I think some other people actually did, um, because it's the Mets and they're not going to get away with anything <laughs> on, on Twitter. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was, awfully impressive um you know that's the thing and you go back what was it two or three years uh springs ago that it was uh one of those stories you feel like you hear hear all the time you know jeff mcneil's put on 20 pounds of muscle or 30 pounds of muscle um but he was hurt a lot so you know there, there really wasn't an opportunity to to capitalize on that i don't think uh, and, and I think another part of that, and part of it was just timing and, and luck and everything, but we had been using a photo until, you know, now there's major league stuff out there. So that, you know, that takes the cake, but we had been using a photo I took before we put on the weight and, uh, you know, he was this lanky, lanky dude and he's not, you know, you don't look at him now and think, uh, you know, like Mike Trout, you know, built like a truck kind of. Mm-hmm frame but he doesn't look like a, like he looks like a hitting a position player version of Jacob deGrom yes like just string bean uh all that uh, you know obviously he's he's filled out so you hear that kind of story and you know I mean the first thing that comes to mind for a Mets fan is probably oh we heard that story about Noah Syndergaard and he tore his lat you know <laughs> yeah uh so it is nice to see you know, uh, we've all bought into players who come up and tear the cover off the ball for a certain amount of time and then it turned out to be nothing. So, you know, you, you try to incorporate that lesson and not get too excited. But it's a hell of a lot more fun when the guy comes up and does hit that way. Oh, absolutely. And it gives you something to believe in. Um so that uh, shout out to Greg Karam, who was like McNeil was his dude. Uh, it's been it's been, I think, a couple of years at this point since Greg uh, was actively writing on the site. And, you know, I think it was his dude going back a little further than that. So as long as McNeil is riding this uh, major league success, I will, uh, uh, you know, Greg gets some credit for being all about him. Absolutely. Way back when. <laughs> and uh you know what's what's especially nice about the McNeil situation is that, well, let me <laughs> let me qualify this. For most teams, the McNeil situation would mean no more Jose Reyes. That is unfortunately not the case with the Mets because the Mets are insane, 
(laughs) But hopefully it means less Jose Reyes. Yeah, it should. I mean, I think we had... um, I didn't see... Uh, I didn't see or hear a lot of the game today. Did Reyes start today or no? Um, you know, for a guy who recapped the game, I should have an answer for you. Uh, I Let's do not. See. I do not believe he started the game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. I'm looking. Looking at the box score, he did not. Okay. So I think that's three games in a row that Reyes didn't start. And you know, if anything, it's it's a combination of them wanting to also have Bautista or Fraser play. Yep. Uh, But, you know, there are two things they're doing, right? And it's awfully hard to compliment the Mets right now. But, uh, and I'd prefer that they would just leave Nimmo in this group that I'm talking about here. But, you know, Rosario hitting leadoff, McNeil playing pretty regularly, uh, hitting second, Conforto hitting fourth. So they today they had Flores hitting third. I think that's roughly the top four they've been going with. I'd rather just get Nimmo up there um, because it's all just about reps and, you know, yeah. what better form of practice is there than a major league game. So, uh, you know, it's uh, – being the Mets, it's never going to be, oh, everything's great. They're doing everything right. But – Three days in a row of no race in the starting lineup is mildly encouraging. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. And, and again, it's only because Bautista and Frazier are guys who they can play at third. You know, if it was just Guillaume, I'm, I'm sure it would be, uh, you know, not the case. Which, is, again, is crazy. But Yeah. Well, the line, it, I, I, we, we joked... Maybe this will be a thing that we do, um, but you know, off air, off off the site, we were joking about uh, somebody, you know, Joe who does the this, this week in Mets quotes, um, just doing a year end Mickey Calloway edition. <laughs> I mean, he said some insane things. Uh, one of which was that, oh well, we want Guillaume to be a utility guy, so that's the role we want him to be in. It doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. You know? Uh, it, like, And I get where the roster is now with Fraser off the DL and everything. And um, yeah, I understand playing Fraser over Guillaume to an extent, whether you're looking to you know trade him and just get out of the you know that contract next year. Or get him right or whatever. There, there's lots of reasons. Right. I, I, there's lots of... There's lots of reasons that intellectually make sense. Right. So I I understand that. But you, just like you are made face a bunch of major league, you know, pitchers and get reps in the field uh, at the highest level of the game. Um, you know, <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be bench Frazier for it. But while Frazier was out, that should have been happening already. Exactly. Uh, you know, oh, we want a guy to be a utility guy. Okay, that's fine. But you're going nowhere right now. So why not get 200 plate appearances and, uh, you know, see what that does for him? Uh, you know, he, he hasn't hit much. He hasn't struck out much. He's made a lot of contact and made a lot of outs. But I'd much rather him try to get that contact to become quality contact. And then if he plays three times a week, uh, you know, a game at second, a game at short, a game at third next year, he's got that behind him, you know? Not only that, I just feel like there's something a little bit off in a major league organization talking about a player that made his debut less than a year ago being, we hope he's a utility player. I feel like you want to hope everybody's an everyday superstar. Well, yes. And maybe you sign a guy to be a utility player because you have a need on your roster, but who develops a guy being like, our dream is this guy is a fifth infielder? Right. Like, nobody, no team should operate that way. <laughs> the New York Mets, no yeah. team should operate that way. <laughs> I think we've, we've come up with a lot of taglines that would be uh, fitting on a permanent basis for this team this year. That is true. That is very true. Um, 
But no, I mean, you agree, right? It's a kind of a sick, crazy thing to say in public. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Okay. It's funny, even from this, like, critical of the team perspective um, that I've just grown into more, I'd say, as this year has gone on, uh-huh. it, it, it's, it's still easy to frame things in the reality that they establish. <laughs> yeah. Even when you're calling them out. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a, it's a really good point. Uh, you know, we, we hope, we hope Guillaume is so good that we think we have too many middle infielders and, you know, and that's a great problem to have. Yeah. But I mean, this is a team that played Dom Smith in the outfield in, in a major league in more than one major league game. Uh, I don't get, it just doesn't seem that hard to to find playing time if you want to get a guy those reps. No. Especially because the team is going nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> this would be a totally different conversation if they were in a playoff hunt. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you go back to May and June, I would say. And if this team had built an actual bullpen over the off season rather than signing one reliever and, and I'll give him this Anthony Swarzak uh, he didn't look like he was going to be this bad no this hurt maybe um you know that's not out of the uh, outside of the norm for him but this bad and, and this hurt um I don't know I didn't see that coming but that was it. That was, that was what they did. So when you think about the Mets offseason free agent signings, could it have gone any worse for them? I don't think so. <laughs> Vargas, Swarzak, Frazier, and Bruce. Yep. Is and that Reyes? And Reyes, Reyes is technically, and, yeah. And Reyes is, is it, it might be the worst free agent offseason in Mets history. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know there are some people who make a lot of noise about like, oh, I hate the Cespedes contract now. Like, shut up. You did not hate it when it was signed. You know? And even like, if you did, you hated it for reasons that are different than the reasons you hate it now. Right. You didn't you didn't see the injury stuff, this specific injury to the extent that it exists. You didn't see that coming. You know, this was a guy who, uh, it wasn't the kind of transformational, like, Piazza acquisition, but it's the closest thing I can remember since then. You know, I mean, they they made good deals. Beltran, I think, did that too, but it was a little less immediate. Um, and the difference was, with, with Beltran, he was signed before the Mets were supposed to be any good. He was supposed to be the piece that led the Mets to be good. Cespedes, the trade for Cespedes did that. But the signing of Cespedes was the, the we're, we're serious about this, we're going to be good for a while. Yeah. Which, which is just a different tone to the, the, to the Beltran signing. Yeah. And, and to the point on Beltran signing, uh, and I know... You and Allison hit on it last week, uh, more than hit on it. But, <laughs> you know, that that's the kind of thing that Manny Machado should be. It uh, Sort of a combination of both, like superstar player. All we got to do is pay him money. And, you know, he's here. He makes our case for contending in 2019 a lot stronger. And he's also su still, like, super young. So... You know, maybe we can pull it off in 2019 with him in the fold. Even if we don't, we now have, you know, a, a cohesive message to send to the rest of the league that this is why you want to come play here. This is you, the new Mets. Right. Again, the yeah. new new Mets. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, just, just thinking about this offseason, you know, framing it in the way we just did. I really can't remember a more... Oh, hang on. Would the 2002 offseason be worse? 
the Mo Vaughn, Robbie Alomar offseason. Were they? Yeah, was that the same? The same winter? I believe that was. I believe it was Burnitz on the second go round. Uh, Robbie Alomar and uh, Mo Vaughn the same offseason. Okay, if under the assumption that that was uh, the case, and I should remember that, but I may have just blacked it out. <laughs> it, that that might contend. Uh, but I feel like they at least got some return on those guys before they went bad, right? Yeah. Okay. So in the like, off in the off season, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the 2003. In 2003, they signed Glavin, Siyoshi Shinjo, Jay Bell, and David Cohen. Who forgot David Cohn was a Met in 2003? Uh, everybody. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Was it was it the two thousand? Okay, it was it was before two. It was before the two thousand two season. Um, yeah. Okay, David Justice was traded to the Mets, and then they traded oh, him wow. to Oakland, if you recall. Yeah. Uh, Roberto Alomar was traded for the Mets, and that I guess they didn't sign him. I forgot that. Um, David Weathers signed as a Met. Uh, Alex Ochoa was traded. Uh. I guess they got, yeah, they got, that's when they got Burnett's back. And, uh, when was Move On as part of this? Maybe Move On was the next, maybe Move On was the year before. Anyway, this is the worst Mets offseason. I'm calling it now. <laughs> the one we yeah, had, the one I, we just had, the one we just experienced is the worst. Right. And maybe not <clears throat> in terms of, uh, like if you really want to break down dollars and years and all that, but just in terms of we signed five dudes. With the intention of having them being good this year. Like, these are all guys who have been around, and every single one of them has been bad, hurt, or both. I mean, you could you could throw Adrian Gonzalez in that mix, too. Yeah, he was a free agent. He didn't, you yeah. know, he wasn't costing much money. But, yeah, absolutely. He, you signed a first baseman, an infielder, uh, a starting pitcher, a relief pitcher, an outfielder. And am I forgetting somebody now? Uh, you're forgetting either Reyes or Frazier. Oh, two infielders, yes. So, and another infielder. And the expectation was that most of them would be in your lineup every day. Uh, you know, or or in the ro- in the bullpen all the time, or in the rotation every turn. You know. Yeah. And they're all miserably bad. And what's kind of incredible is that the Mets' in-season acquisitions have actually all sort of worked out. Mm-hmm. Jose Bautista, Austin Jackson, you know, the, both of those guys have been, I mean, let's call it, far better than we thought. Yeah. Like, you know, I think we all laughed when Jose Bautista signed. And, you know, he hasn't been an all-star but he's been a solid everyday player for the Mets. Who, yeah, who saw that coming? Yeah, no, it's. Um, I don't think anybody was predicting that. You know, and if the season were going well, this would be like, oh, hey, wow, look at this. <laughs> even even Mezzarocco has been a relatively pleasant surprise. Yeah, but yeah, Joey Bats is a Met. Coming into today, uh, the average is low, but that's not really the end of the world. Uh, you know, good on base percentage, better than a league average hitter uh, by you know the the park in league adjusted metrics. Um, productive major league player, and you know if he were playing a bit part on a team that was you know, contending for the division, it would be fun to be like, hey, look, we got this guy for free and, you know, we're right up there with the Braves and they let him go and, like, point and laugh at them and all that. That would be nice. Yeah. An alternate reality of this season. (laughs) And then Austin Jackson, you know, going into today, before he hit two doubles and drove in three runs today, he had an OPS plus of 205. Okay, he has his on base percentage as a Met, and that's as a Met, I should say, in ten games. His on base percentage as a Met is four sixty seven. 
He's slugging six thirty. He, uh, you know, he has he has more than justified the the gamble on taking him, even if he does nothing else at this point. He's fine. Right. He's fine yeah. for right now. Um, yeah. Is there? I know the answer is they're the Mets, and so maybe. Is there any chance that you would want either of these guys in your team next year? Uh, so I've talked about that specifically with you know some Mets fan friends, mm-hmm. and I think the conclusion I came to was basically if one of them is the fifth outfielder, 25th man on the roster, okay, sure. But both sounds like a bit much just because I don't know, you know, you got to you gotta improve things somehow and you're going to need roster spots to do it with. So I don't know if having them both around could work. Uh, and, you know, they, they're the types of players who should not be signed early. So you get into a mindset of like, well, you know, we don't have a roster spot. Right. Um, you know, if they really fall in love with one of the two guys and they want to tell them, hey, look, uh, we're going to see what we can do this winter. And, you know, we want to keep you in the as an option. Uh don't sign anywhere else before you talk to us and you know we'll we'll keep in touch over the course of the winter okay you know i i don't know if uh, if you're the mets i don't know if that can possibly work but like just saying don't make any final decisions until we're um you know further into the off season but if you're the Mets, please do not sign guys like like on that level on November fifth or whatever. Right. You know. Right. Um I mean I I think that there's a case to be made for one of them. I think that due to Cespedes almost certainly starting the season on the DL, given that Jay Bruce is coming off of a totally lost, worthless season. Given that Juan Lagares is coming back from injury, your outfield picture is clear with Conforto and Nimmo, but everyone else is sort of still up in the air. So having one of those guys as insurance for that makes total sense to me. Right, and there's not somebody coming up, uh, you know, knocking on the door from the minors right, who, right. who they're blocking on like a one-year, you know, $5 million type uh, deal if they're in the majors right it, it it makes it makes total sense to to go for that and i think you could make the case maybe that batista is the more valuable player because his ability to play third base is there uh right not that you should have any shortage of third baseman in your right, system no. <laughs> between guillorme and you know uh hopefully david Wright. i know that's a that's a crazy thing to say but you know let's throw it out there possibly david Wright and todd frazier and Wilmer Flores, and insert other possible third base. Jeff McNeil, you know, there, there should be plenty of people out there to play third base. So you shouldn't need another one. But if you're talking about just sort of uh, sort of roster flexibility, I understand the Batista ha- having the slight edge there. However, Austin Jackson seems to be about as close to an actual center fielder, not named Juan Lagares as the Mets have. So I could also understand that perspective of wanting to keep him around to play center field next year if Lagares is hurt or if uh, if you give up the dream of Nimmo or Conforto playing center field. Yeah, yeah. So the Mets, on that specific note, uh, I think it was Kevin Kernan wrote the column uh, talking about, well, don't expect them to go outside the organization for center field this winter, which is... It is awfully early to be setting the bar that low for free agency, but a nice reality check. Uh, And in it, you know, there's a mention that, oh, the Mets have discussed, uh, you know, trying a Med Rosario in center field. And, you know, that seems like somebody, somebody in the room said, well, what if we do what they did with Odubel Herrera in Philly? 
you know, stick him in center field and see what happens. That seems haphazard. The Mets have enough not real center fielders. Yeah. And look, he's fast. Maybe he could be great at it. I have no idea. But, you, you know, you brought this guy up and he's, you know, been highly tattered for defense and all that. And then you're just opening yourself up to a need shortstop. Right. Right. I mean, in, in the dream world, uh, Andres Jimenez is, you know, ready to go. Uh, he's 19 now and playing really well in double A. You know, that's exciting. Um, you know, I can see where somebody would bring up the idea. The thing that gets me is the mention of, you know, oh, it was mentioned, but it's not imminent. But this is an organization that can go from saying Jeff McNeil is, you know, only a second baseman to the next day starting to play him at other positions that he had already played uh, at previous points of his minor league career. And then, you know, bringing him up and being like, oh, no, he can play everywhere. Like, it just... I think the three-headed GM thing highlights it. But I, I don't think it didn't exist before that. It feels like there's nobody who's officially setting the tone. Right, right. Um, and, and, I mean, if it is, it feels like it's Jeff Wilpon. But it doesn't feel like there's a cohesive message, you know? The the Mets lack an identity, I would say. You you know, what What are we as a team? You know, how are we going to communicate amongst ourselves when it comes to things like internal player evaluation? And, you know, I, it, it, like I know being hyper-focused on one team, you'll pick up on all the little stuff. So I know that there are other things that happen in other organizations where, you know, some leaked report will say one thing about a guy and nobody else thinks it and whatever you know it, it, they're large companies there are people who have opinions that might differ from what the organization is doing but it feels like the Mets never get on the same page and uh, I, I I don't know I don't it, it always comes back to that yeah I uh I completely agree with that it's been, uh, it, it's just been, it's been such a weird season. I know we keep saying that, but it's really been a weird season. Yeah. Um, let's, let, let's keep talking about some weirdness here for a second. And, uh, sure. <laughs> so at the moment, both, and, and by at the moment, I just mean basically as of this week, both Jason Vargas and Corey Oswalt made starts for the Mets. Uh, it looks like Vargas is going to stick in the rotation and Oswalt will not. And you, uh, you've written something up about this, Chris. So why don't you take the lead here? Why is it a bad idea for the Mets to not have Oswalt starting every fifth day, and a bad idea for Vargas to be doing just that? Well, <laughs> if I wanted to play devil's advocate against myself, I would say the good argument for keeping Vargas in the rotation is they might get a better draft pick out of it. <laughs> Uh, but the, that, that's not a reason to make that decision. Uh, the whole scenario is based on, you know, an assumption that Matt's comes back sometime soon. I'm not so sure I buy that, you know, they try to, uh, you know, play it off like, Oh, maybe we're not going to put him on the DL yet. No, he's on the DL. Uh, it's not going to just be one start. You know, we're on that usual familiar path. But let's say Matt's does come back and they have a decision to make. Uh, you know, do you go to a six-man rotation, keep Oswalt and Vargas in it? Do you, you know, just start one of them? Whatever they come to decide, you, you got to keep giving Oswalt chances. Um, you know, he's, he's not going to blow anybody away. He doesn't throw that hard. Uh, at all for you know like a young pitcher who just came up compared to you know what we see so frequently in baseball right now but we've also been spoiled as Mets fans in that regard oh yeah yeah no no like however it has played out uh, you know even though the 
turn through the rotation they all took together came at a time that they weren't firing on all cylinders to have five starting pitchers come up who were part of that ever, you know, elusive dream five person rotation. Uh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, every single one of them uh, at their best and two of them, two or three of them are still there now. Um, throws super hard, uh, anywhere from good to great strikeout rates, all that stuff, you know, like just the most fun stuff you can get with a pitcher. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, he's not, he's not that he's not electrifying, but you know, he's shown and uh, I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> if you take out the one terrible outing, right that he had and and you know for me it's more not just the one terrible outing but since he was called up and uh, i think he might have gone back and forth even once uh in the meantime but since he was called up the second or third time whatever it was there's been a pretty consistent like solid you know, level of performance. And there's no way to know, hey, did we just stumble upon a fifth starter for next year who is going to make the league minimum? And, you know, we can honestly say, hey, you know, this guy's in our rotation and we feel good about it. You're not going to be able to come closer to that determination by having him pitch in AAA. It's got to be against major league players. And... Whether or not they release Jason Vargas can be a decision the next GM makes with or without seeing anything else from him this year. You know, uh, there's just, to me, there's no value to be gained. Vargas can go be your long reliever. Um, you know, he was signed to, <laughs> he's in like the 40s and in innings. He was signed to soak up innings this year. Yep. Let let him let him go do that. Uh, you know, if you were pitching well, and then you actually had sort of a logjam in the rotation, and Vargas had like a similar level of performance. You know, where he had like a three and a half four ERA over his last, you know, five six seven starts. Okay, sure. Which is not the case. There's a stark difference there. Um, I'm all in on McNeil. I don't know yet if I buy Oswald, but you know, there there's some sign there that maybe this is a guy who could help. And even if, if he's not though, you you said this, but I feel like it bears repeating. Even if he's not for real, you still learn more from him pitching every fifth day than you learn from Vargas pitching every fifth day. Yes. And since the results don't matter, you might as well go for whatever's going to teach you more. It's like the team doesn't understand this. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. But this is the Jose Reyes argument all over again, too. Whatever you think about Jose Reyes as a 2019 Met, there is no reason that he should play over Guillaume, McNeil, or Flores. Ever. Ever. All three of those guys, to different degrees, are less of a known qual quantity than Reyes is. Would it be a Freudian slip to uh, point? <laughs> you said 2019, Matt? No, I, I meant that. I meant that whether you think oh, he's oh, going to oh. go back next year or not. Like, it doesn't. that shouldn't matter. Oh, if, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, if we just operate under the assumption that he is, we'll probably all be a little like, is, sane at the end of it. Like, oh, true. yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course they did. Did you see that somebody actually asked him about that today? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah, so asked him, Reyes or the team? They asked Reyes, would you like to come back next year? And he said, of course I would. And I feel like the team, somebody went, yes! Like somebody pumped their <laughs> fist when they heard him say that, which is so absurd. I feel like that's the equivalent of, I don't know, I, I'm, I was going to make a dumb joke. I'm not going to make the dumb joke. But who asked that guy that question? Come on. Of course he wants right. to come back. Here's a team that will keep paying you when no one else in baseball wants to. Here's the yeah. here's a fan base that will ignore your domestic violence. Uh, you know what's why wouldn't he come like, back and play? 
Right, you like living on Long Island? Yeah. God help you. You know, I just... <laughs> kidding, Long Island, kidding. Um, yeah, I just... Yeah, yes, we love you in Long Island, yeah. but I also wouldn't live there. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm a guy who lives in Jersey, all right? I, I can I can dish it out because I take it all the time. Um, <laughs> but, no, you know, it, it, I, I just... Uh, I just don't get it. I just don't get why anybody would think. Let me ask this guy. That, you know, hey King, do you like being king? You know, right. like, the question might as well be: uh, Do you like being paid to play baseball? Yeah. Your campaign has uh, uh, I'm trying to think of that Simpsons quote. Has the momentum of a runaway steam engine. What makes you so popular? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, I mean. So, this is somewhat off topic, but I, I think it's an important conversation to have. And we're talking about 2019 a little bit, and we have so much time to talk about this. But uh, it, my dad asked me this question today. We were talking about the Mets. And he said, hey, what happened to Dom Smith? And I said, well, he's, he's down in AAA. And he goes, is that it for Dom Smith with the Mets? And I thought that was a really interesting question. And so, let's not get too deep into this, but just sort of, you know, what's your gut feeling on... Is Dom Smith gonna play for the Mets ever again? Ever again? Outside, yes. of, outside of September, leave September uh, out of it. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, I I don't see it, you know. And he's a guy who, like, it, it was easy to root for. Um, you know, he's a good story, uh, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, there was just not everything that prospect evaluators who who operate publicly, uh, not everything they put out ends up being true. And they'd all tell you that right away. You know, there's just so much that you can't possibly predict about a guy. But the things that were kind of concerning with Smith uh, had have really not changed too much. I, I think he's probably gotten into the best shape he's been in over the course of a season um, to his credit, you know, and that's great. But the, you know, the, the production on the field is sort of what you would have feared based on some of the reports over the years. Uh, the only unknown is like, you know, who is the new GM and what do they think? But I can't imagine any, scenario where Alonzo isn't seen as the guy. Yeah. I I think it's equally about him when you say, I don't think Dom Smith is going to get yeah ever again. I'd still say yes beyond September because I just don't know that, you know, there's a, there's a trade out there uh, that the Mets will feel like they're getting something in value uh, of value giving up somebody who they drafted in the first round you know so i i i think they'd be hesitant to trade him for something minor so in that sense i think he will play again but See, i wonder I, if a new gm wouldn't care about that yeah i could i could see that but does the institution of the mets care about that that's true I mean, so, to be fair, I don't know if the institution of the Mets ever really cared about Smith. Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, like, not anything specific with him, but um, we know they loved uh, Jose Reyes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know who else they, like, who they really love. Um, so, yeah. Jason Vargas might be on that list. Could be. He was great for Brooklyn. <laughs> oh man. Um, See if I if I were Jason Vargas, I don't know. I, I'd imagine there's a lot of pride to this. So I don't mean to undermine the whole concept of like a, a professional athlete at the highest level of, of his game. That's a competitive thing that I'm sure you never want to give up. But me, who isn't that guy it's like I could play half as many games in Brooklyn playing for the Cyclones uh, 
still pay me my $8 million. I'll play some baseball. I'll live in New York City. And I'll work for three months. And, you know, uh, you the know Cyclones what? will have an ace. I'll drink a lot of Nathan's orange aid. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, chill, on, chill on the boardwalk. Yeah. You know? Beer Island's right there. Right. <laughs> Uh, this is why we're not professional athletes, by the way, because we're talking about chilling on the boardwalk and drinking beer and orange soda. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's it. I say this every off season, but the off season is is sometimes my favorite part of the baseball season, just because I I like the all the strategy and all of the sort of mental uh, exercises you play during the off season and all that. But this offseason is going to be really fascinating, partially because the new GM is going to have so much of a say, you hope, into what happens. And you hope that new GM isn't Omar Minaya, even though it very, very well might be Omar Minaya. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, any uh, Anything you're hoping to see the rest of the season? Like, what do you hope August brings for the Mets? Um, just as much playing time and, and experience as we can possibly get for uh, McNeil, Rosario, Nimmo, Conforto. I know those two have you know not really struggled for playing time, given the uh, injured state of the outfield. But uh, those guys, and I would love to see you know a, a move where like Alonzo comes up and. It isn't just when Vegas' season ends. I'm sure that is what's going to happen, but it's all about that uh, on the position player side of things. And then with the pitchers, same concept. You know, just Oswald makes his starts. Even if it's like a four, four-and-a-half ERA kind of guy, uh, you know, that's... That's a viable player. Right. So, uh, you know... It, those things, and then uh, on like another level of major league talent and career, and where the guy is right now, just Degrom continuing to be amazing, and uh, you know winning the Cy Young despite you know the wins being low, just being far and away the best pitcher in baseball. Where voters who vote on that are like, well, yeah, you got to give it to him. Um, so that, that sort of thing can be fun. You know, uh, obviously there won't be a 20th win like, like R.A. Dickey had, uh, you know, but that, that sort of moment or I don't know if it'd be a moment because, it, you know, because of that specific thing, but I would like in late September to be saying, Hey, you know what? It's a pretty nice, comfortable evening out. Jacob deGrom is pitching. I hate so much about this team, but I want to go and make some noise for the guy who should be the Cy Young in the league. You know, right. like that. I want to see him bring his ERA down point down past one point six. You know, so let's go to the ballpark and watch him strike out eight guys or whatever. Yeah, that. Yeah, oh, and that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and that's. I think that's really. If the season ended right now, I would say he is deserving of the Cy Young because the process has modernized enough that people realize, you know, it's not his fault. Right. That one dated stat is not impressive, you know? Um, but yeah, if it's, if he establishes even more of a gap, if he gets, if he's a 1.5 something ERA over like 200, however many innings, uh, that makes a very clear case to me. Yeah. I also think that people don't realize how historic that low of an ERA in this offensive environment would, would represent, like what that would represent. Right. Not the dead ball era, you know, but not, not the offensive peak, but a lot more offense than, <laughs> yeah. than, than a lot of other one, five something ERA seasons you'll find, yeah. you know? Even if he just keeps it under two, that's still incredibly impressive. Um, but yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, the one the one thought I, I will echo I echo everything you said about hopes for August. My one thing I'll add to it is, you know, there are a fair amount of intriguing bullpen arms in the system right now, mm-hmm. but nobody has really set themselves out this year. No one's established themselves as like, oh, this guy needs a place in the bullpen next year. So I would like to see a couple of these relief pitchers given the opportunity to really show the mess what they have and possibly state their claim to a seventh inning guy for next season. Yeah. Is, is there any, yeah. is there anyone you have a particularly good feeling about? <laughs> uh, I wish I did. I don't know. Um, just all around, nobody has nobody's really pitched that well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. There, there's plenty of guys who, in theory, I would be like, yeah, sure, that guy looks like he could do it, but just not clicking. The, the continued bullpen search, the the never-ending bullpen search for this team. I mean, it's a freaking miracle that Jerry's Familia turned out to be really, really good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't have a particular horse in the race, but uh. Because he was on our show, I'll say Jacob Rame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that uh, I am certainly rooting for him. Yeah. Because I want him, I you know, I want him to be able to enjoy fishing. Yep. <laughs> For years to come, while he's in Port St. Lucie. Yes. Although, well, that's the other coast of Florida. I'll, I'll avoid the depressing, you know, wildlife situation. Yeah. yeah. In Florida, but I hope he gets to be there for spring training and be a, a, a you know, contributor to a major league bullpen for a long time. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I can just say a bunch of names right now, but they—I don't know—they're all in the same boat. They throw hard. Hopefully, they figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that that should just about wrap it up for us for tonight. Uh, I, I do want to say we've been talking about getting a game together uh, for later this season, an Amazing Avenue meetup of some sort. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And uh, we're also planning something big for our 300th podcast, which will happen sometime early this autumn. And uh, so, again, keep your eyes and ears out for that. And uh, we hope to see you at the game soon. Hey everybody, this is Steve Saipa, and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week for week 17, which is July 29th to August 4th. So first up are the Las Vegas 51s, and they went 4-2, and two, which puts them at 55-57 and 57 for the season. They're eight and a half games behind the El Paso Chihuahuas for first place, but they're no longer last in the division, and 500 isn't within reach, so those are the things that they should be playing for. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 3-4. and four, and they are 52-60 and 60 on the season, which puts them 12 and a half games behind the New Hampshire Fisher Cats for first. And they really don't have any shot of catching them, or even the second-place Trenton Thunder. So, really, they should just be playing to end the season at 500. St. Lucie Mets, they went 3-3, three and three, and they are 16-24 and 24 in the second half. They're seven games behind the Charlotte Stoneclerbs for first, and they're probably not catching them. So just staying out of the division cellar is the best-case scenario for them, I guess. The Columbia Fireflies went 2-4, and four, and they are 17-24 in the second half, which is six games behind Lexington Legend for first. The Cola Flies are less in the division, but hot-shotting up the standings is theoretically possible with a strong week, but I don't know exactly how likely they are to have a strong week. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, they went 4-3, and three, and they are now 26-22, and 22, which is two and a half games back in a very tight race. Uh, for the McNamara division title between them, the first place Hudson Valley Renegades, and the second place Stanley Yankees. Now, given how bad Brooklyn has been over the last couple of years, I would have settled for them just ending over 500. But the fact that they're in the playoff hunt with a few more weeks to go is pretty exciting. 
Kingsport Mets went five and three, and they are twenty three and nineteen for the year, which is two and a half games behind the Elizabethan Twins for first in the Appy League West. I'm not as familiar with the Twins' team as I am with Kingsport's team. But to me, the Kingsport team is a lot more exciting players with upside, so I think that they should be able to overtake them by the end of the year. And last but not least are the GCL Mets, and they went 20-20, which is middle of the pack in the division, and seven games behind the Cardinals' GCL team for first place. Now our pitcher of the week, and that individual is St. Lucie Mets right-hander Michael Gibbons. He started one game this week, and he had a no-hitter going through seven and two-thirds of an inning before giving up a hit. And Seth Davis, the reliever who replaced him, he let that inherited runner score, so Gibbons' line looks a little less impressive, but he did end up within a few outs of throwing a no-no. A little background about Gibbons, and he is a little unique in a way. He signed as an undrafted free agent back in August 2014 out of Wheaton College, which made him the third individual from that school to sign with a major league club. But what made Gibbons signing unusual is that he was offered the contract as a college junior who had gone undrafted after the season. Uh, basically, he impressed J.P. Riccardi while he was playing in the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. The Mets contacted him, and they made him an offer then and there, and wanted to basically sign him right there instead of basically leaving it up to chance and possibly seeing him get drafted by another team in the 2015 MLB draft. So in his three years at Wheaton, which is a Division three school, Gibbons was primarily a starter, and he posted a 2.63 ERA in 106 innings, allowing 89 hits, walking 30, and striking out 62. So after signing with the Mets, he went back to Wheaton to finish up, finish up his economics degree, and then once class was over and he graduated, he started uh, his career as a professional. So in June 2015, he was initially assigned to St. Lucie, but basically spent the season bouncing all around the system. He made stops in Brooklyn, he made stops in Savannah, he made stops in St. Lucie, and he made stops in Binghamton. So all in all, he had a solid debut season. He posted a 3.63 ERA in 69.1 innings. He allowed 75 hits, he walked 18, and he struck out 47. He wasn't able to build on that success, though, because an elbow injury necessitated Tommy John surgery, so he missed all of the 2016 season. He returned to the mound in the middle of 2017, and he made a handful of appearances with the GCL Mets, the Brooklyn Cyclones, and then the St. Lucie Mets before having a season end early in August. In his return from surgery, he posted a... 8.78 ERA in 27.2 innings, and, you know, that wasn't really the best. But another year removed from the surgery this year, he's having a lot more success. And so far in 74.1 innings split between St. Lucie and Binghamton, he's posted a 3.63 ERA, allowing 71 hits, walking 30, and striking out 55. So Gibbons throws from a high three-quarter arm slot. He has a simple and repeatable mechanics that really allow him to throw with above-average control, and that really is his best tool, I guess. Um, he primarily is a sinker ball pitcher. He throws a heavy fastball that sits around 90 or so. And though he maintained a good ground ball rate, um, generally speaking, you know, you want to see a sinker ball pitcher have a ground ball rate above 50%. He was able to do that before his surgery, but since returning from Tommy John, his ground ball rate has basically shrunk by a lot, and his fly ball rate has spiked up. Not good. Uh, in addition to his sinker, he throws a curveball and a changeup, and they're both below average pitches, but again, thanks to his above average control, they play up a little bit because he can hit his spots. Gibbons is something of a feel-good story, I guess, coming out of a Division three college, pitching his way into professional contract and everything like that. But at least to me, it seems apparent that he is either at or he's near his pitching ceiling. And the starts that he's making and all those innings that he's logging, those could go to pitchers down in Columbia that have higher upside. Unless there's a specific reason for him staying in Columbia, Tony DeBrell, he should be pitching in St. Lucie. To me, he's a top 10 talent. Uh, Yezo Campos... He was recently assigned to Brooklyn. He pitched well enough with Brooklyn and Columbia to earn a high A um, promotion, I think. 
Marcel Renteria, who recently disabled, who who recently returned for the disabled list, arguably he could have his developmental track uh, quickens as well. He comes from a Division One college and everything like that, but the Mets have been a little uh, slow on his development because of injury and things like that. But the end of the story is that you know, giving Gibbons all these innings, I don't know. I don't see him having much of a future, and it just seems to be a waste. And now, our hit of the week, and that individual, is Kingsport Mets third baseman Mark Vientos. In six games this week, he hit 455, 500, 773, with a double, two home runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and a stolen base. So that makes two weeks in a row now where Vientos has basically been absolutely on fire. Last week, he hit 385, 44, 923, and now this week, he hit 455, 500, 773. And if you combine the two weeks, he's hitting 417, 491, 854 over the last two weeks. And we know that the power that he has is manifesting, and it's good to see that he's not actually completely selling out for it. In the last two weeks, he has an exact one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. And then for the season, he has a pretty strong 16-to-24 strikeout-to-walk ratio. So DeVientos developing is exciting. And, you know, he's 18 and he's just getting started. And I'll be down south next week and I'll get to see him. Although with my luck, he'll probably get promoted like the day before I see Kingsport. But I'm getting pretty excited about him. It's not that last year I was down on him or anything, but I guess I was kind of a little wishy-washy. But now I am all in on him. Uh, We ranked Vientos fifth best, the fifth best prospect in 2018. For the 2018 season, I should say. But based on his performance and how he projects and everything like that, I think he's definitely boosted his stock and is going to be ranked higher on our 2019 list. Andres Jimenez, who we ranked as the Mets' top prospect, he's probably going to reprising his role. And after that, though, you could make the case that Vientos has forced his way into the number two spot. Peter Alonso, Justin Dunn, and Jared Kalenic, they all have cases that could be made to be called the Mets' second-best prospect. But there are as just as many strong arguments that Vientos could be called that as well, with his combination of projection and performance, and that he should be ranked ahead of them. Me, personally, I think that Alonso takes that spot with his plus power and his track record and how close he is to the majors and everything. But after him, really, nobody in the system is a slam dunk over Vientos. And if nothing changes, I'll be ranking him third. Uh, Kalenic, he's exciting and he has plenty of upside, but he's actually older than Vientos is, and he's raw, more raw, so I can't justify ranking him ahead of Vientos. And Dunn, you know, the numbers look good and everything, but he's just mad to me, and I ultimately think that he ends up a reliever, and I guess that, you know, subliminally I'm deducting a little bit there. But again, I can't really rank him... Over Vientos. So those are our Money League Players of the Week for Week 17 now. I'm not sure if I will be here next week since I'll be down in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, and then Pulaski, Virginia for the week. I'll be fighting off bears and mire lurks and crazy Appalachian hillbillies and whatever else is lurking down there. But I will do my best because I know with the way that the Mets season is gone this year, we need to cling to the hope that we have, and that hope is in the minor leagues. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com and see more of what we have going on in the coming weeks. We are uh, we're still plugging at it, even if the Mets appear at times to not be plugging at it. We are, we are doing all we can to help you guys enjoy this season, despite the, uh, shall we say, interesting circumstances. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please go to blogtalkradio.com to get this show directly or download it from Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or really anywhere you can get a podcast. But we do ask that if you use Apple Podcasts that you rate, review, and subscribe. That really does help us out. And you can follow all the contributors this week on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. Chris is at Chris McShane. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. 
So next week, the Mets will be on the road trip, and we will be back with more of whatever comes our way. And so until next time, let's go Mets. Mets.